There we go. Now you guys can hear me. My name is Tucker Johnson, and this is Nimsy Live. And I can't help but talk like this because of this music. This is just how I talk now, I think. Oh, you are experiencing Nimsy Live, where we talk about the latest and the greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all of that fun stuff that global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we like to invite guests who have fun and also have some value to share for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform for those with a good story to tell or a good data set, and I think our guests today have both. So let us know out there in chat if there are any topics that you'd like covered or guests that we should reach out to for future episodes. If you are not already subscribed, make sure to subscribe to Nimsy Insights on whatever platform you are on. We are coming to you live on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and a bunch of other stuff this morning. So with that, this this music's bringing me down, so I'm going to kill it here. Um, what, what do we got to get into? We got a few housekeeping items before we get into it today. I want I want to mute my phone here. Um, Really quickly, a lot of a lot of changes happening right now. As you know, our friends over at Multilingual Magazine are putting out their 200th issue, and here I just happen to have the issue with Yap Vandermeer, my my guest today, and they're putting out the 200th issue next month. We've they're moving to monthly over there, so make sure that you're checking out Multilingual Magazine if you haven't already done so. Um, print copies are shipped all over the world. We have tens of thousands of subscribers in a bunch of countries all over the world. If you want more information, visit multilingual.com. And with that, let's get right into it today. We have about 36 people joining us on LinkedIn here today. I see people popping up in chat here. Hello, hello, hello. Um, let's get right into introducing our guests. We have on the platform here, Mr. Yap Vandermeer, owner of Taos, and Amir Kamran from Taos as well. You know, I have an introduction written up here, and I don't even know why I did that, because I'm not going to use it. I'm just going to ask you guys to introduce yourself here. I'm going to go off script. Um, Yap, I think you're a, you're somewhat of a known entity in the industry, for, but for those of us out there who haven't heard of you before, tell us about your history. What do you do? What does Taos do? Well, I'm an industry visionary since the dawn of localization. I think I have something written like that in the intro that I wrote for you. I was like, I since, since the dawn it. of translation technology, <laughs> Yap Vandermeer. But I'll, I'll let so you do more, it. More down to earth, I'm the director owner of uh, TAUS, uh, Translation Automation User Society. Uh, for most people, probably um, you know, known as a think tank uh, discussing uh, innovation, automation in uh, the translation industry. But um, today we'll be talking uh, more about uh, products and services uh, all related to data. So we hope to um, be able to change that um, uh, perception of Taos uh, radically from today onwards uh, because we're really a data company. But anyway, I'm the founder and director of, uh, of Taos. Welcome. Thank you, Yap. And Amir, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Tucker, for, for inviting us. Um, my background is basically computer science, uh, and then I did a specialization in uh, uh, natural language processing. Um, I was working with a bunch of research projects in different universities, and then I became part of Taos uh, since the last uh, almost five years now. Uh, and as Yap mentioned, that we are becoming a data company, and 
I was part of that evaluation from the think tank to that a company. And now I'm actually overlooking all the NLP efforts that we are doing uh, to make our product more robust and more um, reliable with the technology. And NLP stands for what? For those of us, yeah. we have lots of different people in our audience. So yeah, yeah. So just dumb it down uh, a NLP, little bit here, Sherlock. Yeah, NLP means natural language processing. So what we are actually doing is we are trying to find out or, or we are trying to use the, the technology that is already available, uh, you know, uh, created by, you know, big giants, how we can use that in different scenarios where, you know, language is the basic problem whether it's machine translation or, or any other thing. Uh, and Taos has uh, a lot of data, so that's why we are uh, a very crucial part of this whole cycle because we provide data to many different companies to to train their different models uh, wherever the, the main problem is something to do with language. So uh, I'm basically natural language processing expert. Perfect. That was, that was, that was just what I was looking for. So that, that leads me quite nicely into this. I'll, I'll give the intro here today. We are talking about data enhanced machine translation or DEMT. And I'm curious, what is data enhanced machine translation? We're going to get into that today. Um, lots of, and for those of you, I, I put it down in the comments and I'll bring the comments back up on chat here. Put it down in the comments if you have an, a practical use case or if you have practical questions, because I think machine translation is one of those things that we we talk a lot about. We, we hear a lot of presentations. We read a lot of articles about it. But as far as like practical implementation, practical questions, like how do I apply this in real life? How do I get started directly today? You've got these guys here at your beck and call. So make sure to put your questions down into the um, down into the chat. So. We'll jump right in here. In, in order to have a conversation about machine translation or data enhanced, uh-oh, I've got an imposter here. Um, in order to have a conversation about machine translation, we need to talk about the history of machine translation before we can talk about what is this new machine translation. So, Yop, I, I know you've published a lot of stuff. We've got some beautiful infographics and stuff here. I can pull those up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the history of machine translation? How did we get to where we got today? Wow. <clears throat> How much time do we have? No, I, I'll, I'll just do the bird's eye overview. Um, you know, the first experiments with machine translation date from 1954. Um, they say, but um, for the long On a grammar, you learn entries into a dictionary and put that together. Um, and that was the idea originally, um, how we could teach computers to do translation. But since, what is it, the late 70s, 80s, um, there was a breakthrough um, with a statistical approach to machine translation. So ignore the rules, ignore the dictionaries, uh, just feed the computers with data, previously translated segments, and it will learn from that automatically. Um, and from there on, it started to um, move somewhat faster. The, the latest revolution, of course, is in neural machine translation, more AI in the mix. And, uh, but these systems, uh, statistical and neural, uh, they obviously need a lot of data to be trained on. And that's um, uh, the key here to the topic of our um, conversation today. Uh, a data enhanced approach to machine translation and, and 
Yeah, today, as you said, you know, everybody's kind of using machine translation one way or the other. Um, but um, um, yeah, it's it's moving very rapidly. The space is evolving very quickly, and uh, we thought it was time to for Taos to come out with a, kind of a completely new, unique offering, a very data-centric approach to cracking this machine translation problem. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I can also give a plug here for those of you that haven't already done so. I think in issue one, oh shoot, I have so many issues of multilingual here. But if you're a subscriber to multilingual print or digital, go over to multilingual.com and read all about the translation economics of the 2020s. And this is a really interesting article from written by Yap Vandermeer about what we expect for the, um, the future of machine translation and all of that stuff. And sorry, I've got a distractor, a distractor here. This is what happens when I do 7 a.m. podcasts. I got kids. Um, Anyways, sorry, super distracted by the, by these children <laughs> pulling on me here. So go go read Yop's, Yop's article. Amir, how does um, natural language processing come into this? And I want to get back to you, Yap, on the the training and the data training and you know data sure. data yeah. data sets. I want to get back to all of that. But how does natural language processing come into this, Amir? Yeah. So. Um your question is how does it come into this, but actually it's all about natural language processing. So, um, you know, computer works on algorithms and uh, when you um, are teaching some algorithm to do something, you have to provide the data. So basically uh, the computer has to understand how this these example sentences, um, you know, bilingual sentences uh, looks like, and then it takes those examples and learn how to translate uh, from one word to uh, to another word, or one phrase from another phrase, or one sentence from another uh, sentence. So basically, what uh, uh, we are doing in these algorithms is that we are providing data, and computer is trying to learn from that example how to translate. Uh, as Yap mentioned, that there was a time when statistical machine translation was uh, uh, the go-to method, uh, but now there is a lot of focus on neural machine translation, and which is completely different uh, game where, you know, uh, you, you need a very high quality data set uh, to train an engine. Uh, and then of course you need uh, data in different languages. And, and, then you need and that's good because we had people in the chat asking about that. Um, what is the difference between neural machine translation and MT? Karina Balbo, thank you for the question. I think other people have been asking about that as well. Um, so maybe you can just elaborate a little bit more on that. Dumb it down yeah, for, so us, for us Americans. Yeah. Uh, so as as I mentioned that in the very early stages there, there there used to be rules and then there used to be dictionaries, and in dictionaries you just you know write entries what is uh, this word and how how to translate this word into uh, another language. Uh, when statistical machine translation uh, becomes popular, what we are doing is basically we are trying to learn statistics behind the data. That, for example, if uh, a word occurs in one language this many times, what are the chances that some of the translations occur on the target side. Uh, so if one word is a translation of another word, that means that both uh, the chances of both to, to happen simultaneously is very high. And computer can learn that through the numbers. And that was uh, statistical machine translation. So we were not just trying to learn words, but we were trying to learn what phrases occurs simultaneously in both languages. So the more data you provide, uh, computer can learn better. Uh, and it can also produce translation that was not in the 
uh, in the examples because it can connect different words uh, that was out of order or you know in different sentences used it can learn the context and then you can produce new translations uh, but with neural machine translations you are actually trying to simulate human brain so you are actually trying to train uh, neural models that uh, that looks like uh, you know human brains and then you are uh, it, it's kind of a black box because there is a lot of um, mathematical modeling in the background but essentially you are providing the data and computer is trying to learn how to translate one sentence into another by learning all sort of different um, details in, in those sentences you are using a lot of um, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, mathematical models uh, and then you are trying to translate uh, a sentence using this uh, neural model uh, so from one side it, uh, a sentence goes in and it uh, converts it into um, uh, vectors and then uh, it, it produces an output and uh, this is a magic in the in between that how it actually learns from the data uh, to translate one sentence to another but it is very different from the, the statistical model and it can give you much better results with uh, not that much amount of data. You don't need a lot of data to train uh, these kind of models, but it is very, very prone to errors. So if there is any problem in the data, it, it can show that errors uh, very easily. While in the statistical machine translation, um, you know, if there is some imperfection in the data, the statistics can, um, you know, rule that out. That okay, the chances of this error to happen is very unlikely. So just just discard this one. So but the, if you yeah. So so to summarize, with neural machine translation, the machines are starting to think for themselves. <laughs> this is how you Skynet can, say that. Yeah, was born. Say that. We and, uh, yeah. Target to put it a little bit in historical perspective. Uh, so Taos. Uh, started uh, in 2008. Uh, there you have it. Um, already collecting data that uh, we had this foresight that data would become more and more important in our industry and uh, we we developed this this cloud-based repository platform for uh, everybody in the industry to contribute data and and share it with the uh, industry at large um, perhaps in hindsight we were a little bit too early although you know it did uh, get a lot of following in the early days of statistical mt um, and and we now have 25 billion words of legacy data in 600 plus language pairs but in the recent couple of years uh, we started building a, another sort of layer on top of that which we now refer to as the data marketplace so it's a new incarnation of our platform if you like with a lot of the nlp um, stuff that that amir mentioned you know is built into this uh, platform into the pipeline like automatic cleaning, automatic domain classification, clustering of data, anonymization. Um, and we automate all these, these steps. And that has altogether contributed to where we're at today, uh, launching this one stop or one click sort of uh, customization service for empty engines. That is in essence the DEMT. And it's a bit of a play, of course, on the other acronym in the industry, post-editing machine translation. Because what we're discovering with this DEMT is that we can, uh, with all this hard work that we put into the data preparation, uh, we can generate or deliver quality that is similar to post-editing machine translation, except 
it's real time and it's it's much more economically i mean economically much more attractive much lower cost we're cutting out the human in the loop completely um so that's that's the the uh, the essence of this new offering and also it's the way we're positioning it now it's independent of machine translation engines the first release is an integration with uh, amazon translate but we could equally do this with other mt platforms uh, and that's that's coming we're working on other integrations as well and very important too um, with this uh, new service is constant monitoring of that impact of the data so we we provide benchmark reports to constantly show um, and also to ourselves like do we really deliver on our promise is there a significant impact uh, of the data uh, is, is the quality level good enough uh, for the use uh, the use case awesome I am just going through the the chat here. We got a question from from Anna. How many trans? And I, I know this is taking off on a tangent here, but in the world, if, when we're talking about machine translation, there's kind of multiple different conversations that we can have. We can talk about machine translation from the client perspective, from the LSP perspective, and from the translator perspective. Um, how many translators out there in the world are using MT? Are they all using MT these days? Are non-MT translators a dying breed? What's the future of that? Whoever wants to take this one, whichever brave soul. <laughs> Does Nimsy know? Um, <laughs> I don't notice know. I don't want to ask because <laughs> we're not a market research firm, but yeah. it's all anecdotal. I suppose nobody has the answer to that question. But um, from what we hear and see, again, anecdotally, um, probably the vast majority of professional translators are seeing all the time, every day, machine translation output that they are being asked to post-edit. It's part of the mix. It's um, either they get a match from a translation memory uh, database or they get, uh, if there isn't a match or a fuzzy match, most likely um, there is a um, machine translated segment that they can post-edit. That's probably the reality for most people. If I can add something as well. so. Basically, not all languages uh, are covered by the machine translation uh, industry yet. So there, there is a you know a lot of languages, especially in um, in the Indian subcontinent or African languages, uh, which which does not have either uh, completely uh, a machine translation engine available, or the the quality is not that good. And all those translators are still doing everything from the scratch. Uh, but of course, there are engines for you know major languages of the world that are doing a very good job, and then you just need to change maybe a word or or a character to make it right, and then everyone one is using the MT there. So that that's interesting, Amir. I, you know, I don't know if um, we talked about that before. Would that mean that in Africa they skip the whole part where translators use translation memories? They go straight into using machine translation in the near future once their languages are covered for, similar to what we've seen with uh, telecoms, right? They, they skip the landlines, go straight into mobile phones. Yeah, yeah there's, like a term, there's like a term for that, how like technology can skip, um, skip gener yeah. technological generations in developing countries. What's the term for that? If anyone knows, put it in chat. It's the, the, I can say it in Dutch, the Wet van de Remmen de Voorsprong. It was actually a oh, Dutch the story. Of, 
yeah. a Dutch historian, Ron, Jan Romein, who coined this uh, term some uh, 75 years ago. Um, but I wouldn't know what the proper English translation is because it's a Dutch invention. Well, we'll see what chat says here. <laughs> so, Yup, you'd mentioned – now, there's a very nice um, blog. If you're interested in understanding what um, more about data-enhanced machine translation, but you think I asked all the wrong questions today, worry not because you can go over here to – uh, the Taos blog, and I'll put a link in the chat just in a second here for this, and you can read all about machine translation. But in this YAP, you mentioned that, and this is a quote, it says, the Nix logical translation solution, therefore, is data-enhanced machine translation. This is the premium quality level of real-time translation, perhaps not as good as human translation quality or transcreation, but good enough for 90% of all use cases. And I want to ask you guys, what are these use cases and how have these use cases been shifting over the years? We talked about how the technology has shifted when, when we looked at the, um, when we looked at this, when we looked at this and Yap, you gave us a nice little history, but machine translation, I always like to talk about the quality from two angles. One is how is the technology improving? And two, how is society's expectations of machine translation changing? Is are are international users becoming more tolerant of imperfect translations if it means that they can get content in their local languages? What observations have you seen around these? Well, yeah, I, I think you, you answered the question partly already. Uh, it's the ease of the, the technology that is changing human uh, expectations and behavior. You've seen the same in uh, in the... Well, we mentioned the mobile phone already. Uh, younger generations, um, the way they communicate using their phones, they're not around these. so uh, concerned about the correctness in their uh, text messages. Um, but you know, they're very happy with um, um, uh, the, the ease of the of the communication and the, the fast the, the, the fastness and the and you know, it's the same. We use we talk about mobile phones versus landlines. You know that they, they are generally speaking, better quality, but everybody is using uh, the mobile phone and, and the video conferences as we're doing here. It's so uh, easy to connect, and so we love it. We use it all the time, and you see a similar kind of evolution in, in translation. You know, this machine translation, especially if we boost the quality with data and uh, with post-editing, um, as well, then it's good for most use cases indeed, you know, but it's interesting, like, you know, there was one quality fits, fits all purposes of uh, communication. That was the, the old way of doing translation or localization that we see this differentiation now for this type of content, like support tickets, support information, um, you know, customer support, um, good enough is good enough, right? And as long as the uh, receiver uh, can go on with their work, you know, and the problem is fixed, the question is answered. But if it's sort of marketing material, um, then you, you want to do it to, with a better style and better tuned in to the specific uh, uh, target group than uh, just general localization for a locale, for a language may not be enough. You may even have to go uh, personal. So that's where transcreation fits in. But if you look at it, on a total uh, scale of all content, that, that's a fraction, that's maybe 5% uh, 
where you need to go for that high level of quality, where the human is definitely required. So that's that's um, uh, kind of where we're heading, we think. Anything? Thank you. Anything to add, Amir? Um, yeah, I think I can give you a personal example. Like I'm living in Netherlands, but I don't speak Dutch at all. So when I receive some letter, um, if it's a promotional material from a company, I can just go to Google and, and translate it. And that's enough for me. I don't really care whether there are mistakes or not. But when I receive um, a letter from a doctor or um, a text do document, then I really have to be careful when I'm using a machine translation, then I really need someone to make sure that everything is correct. So these are the use cases everywhere where where you can rely on some errors or you really want a clean translation with no errors. So you have to judge yourself whether your use case fits in that or not. And so, thank you. Yeah, um, for, for different clients with different content types and different volumes out there, I want to talk about volumes and I want to talk about um, data. I told you I wanted to get back to data, right? One of the challenges that I've always seen, now I'm not a data guy. Like you've been doing this for decades, Yop, so I want to hear what you have to say about this. But in my perspective, one of the challenges that we've had for years in this industry is in order to train things, engines, machine learning, whatever, pick your, pick your tag, tag word, you need a lot of data. You need a lot of data, and there's just not that much. There's not a critical. There hasn't been a critical mass of data in the language services industry, and even if there were, people haven't wanted to share their data. I know that's been a big challenge over the years. Is like there's been a different initiatives, and Taos has been behind a lot of these, and where it's like, hey, let's all share our stuff so that we can train, and everybody wins. And in concept, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful vision. But, um, I don't know. Has that happened? Like, and how does this help that? Does this require, I guess here's my question. Does DEMT, is this, are you telling me that we're able to train engines with less data than we needed five years ago? or even one year ago or two days, or do we still need a lot of data? And where does that come from? Well, it depends on... on um, and sorry, there's like nine questions in there, right? This is why I need yeah, to script yeah, things well, out, but do your best. We'll try to cover it all through different angles, and Amir will um, expand on what I'm going to say here. But uh, uh, in line with what he said earlier, it depends whether you are uh, talking about doing um, some data, um, using data to improve the output of uh, high resource languages, then you can work with a lesser volume, but very specific to a domain and high quality data. As Amir was saying, this new generation of NeuroMT is a bit more sensitive to the quality of the data. So we in the recent years have uh, invested heavily on uh, improving the quality of all the data that we own and that we store in our, our data marketplace. When it concerns low resource languages like Indic languages, Middle Eastern languages, African languages, then you're still, you're kind of in many cases starting from scratch. So you, you need a lot of data, as you say, as a, to get the baseline first in order before you start customizing for domains. Um, so that that is a big difference, um, um, first of all. But um, um, yeah, part of your, you started asking the question like you need a lot of data. Does the styles have a lot of data? And there's there's sort of not a strong history or tradition in, in our ecosystem uh, of people sharing the data. 
Well, we've, we've, we've experienced sort of uh, the opposite. We've uh, collected over the past yeah. 10 years. And like I say, I, I admit my ignorance here. I don't want to, I don't want to like say, Oh no, no one's done this. And you're like, well, actually Taos has been doing this. <laughs> so yeah. Tell me what you've been doing. Well, you know, our first uh, platform was in um, a reciprocal model. So we had a different business model at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody could upload data and then earn credits to download other people's data. This was in the time of the... Right. Yeah, I remember that. Moses, yep. Some people will remember that. Moses, yeah. open source engine. And yep. it was kind of this this prediction. Some people make this prediction like, well, with that sort of going open source everybody will become their own sort of MT uh, trainer and MT owner because it doesn't cost anything. So the reciprocal model uh, we felt was, was perfect for that because, um, you know, um, the, the, you know for, the, for the common good, everybody got access to, to more data. Uh, but with the new generation of MT engines, it's not the case anymore that everybody will um, not likely that everybody will own their own MT infrastructure. It's too costly. Right. So it's not the same people um, who are interested in downloading data who are the possibility of uploading data. So we had to change the business model. So the data marketplace is a commercial model and we're inviting everybody who has data uh, to upload data and offer it for sale so they can earn money out of the data. Um, if and, and who does that? Companies, translators. Who who does that? Translators, LSPs. But interestingly, we see also a lot of interest from publishers. So from a kind of a, another industry, another vertical, where there's a lot of language data content, and often also have a lot of content in multiple languages. So for the moment, we're primarily storing by text. You know, source target and text, but we're expanding into speech and we're also more and more uh, collecting monolingual data because the engines can also benefit from training and training by monolingual data. So there, there's, it's not just the vertical of the translation industry that is potentially uh, uploading data to the data marketplace. It can come from many other or definitely also from the publishing sector, but there is interest uh, definitely from people in doing that. Google just announced. I was I was looking at this. Google just announced a machine translation for like two hundred languages or something like that. So yeah. you know, back in the day, it was machine translation was for figs and Russian and Chinese, right? It's like these days, machine translation is creeping into more and more languages as more and more languages um, presumably get data available. Um, there becomes a critical mass or a significant corpus of data for those languages. How does DEMT, like, what, what effects, um, like, how, how do you have to shift your approach when going after these, you know, quote-unquote long-tail languages or languages of lesser diffusion for which there might not be enough data out there? So, uh, Taos also has the, what we call the Human Language Project Platform. It's um, a crowd workers platform. Um, and we've created data in the last couple of years for um, around 20, 25, what they call low-resource languages, Middle Eastern languages um, and um, Southeast Asian languages, Indic languages. Uh, we're starting now to add corpora for African languages, Nigerian languages. 
Um, so, yeah, sometimes we have to create data um, where there isn't enough um, on stock, so to say. Um, so that's um, that's one way of getting more data. But then, of course, you know, um, like the big tech companies have been doing so far, um, and how they acquired most of the data is through scraping the the web, crawling web, and uh, that's another area where Taos is also quite good. We've been um, participating in uh, EU projects, the Paracrawl project, um, that you know basically. Crawling the World Wide Web, um, storing everything. That's that. That sounds so sketchy. Is that is that kosher? Is that like what are the implications of that? Where you just go out and crawl the web for bilingual data is like you have to get permission for that first, or you just go go crazy. Amir, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, some websites actually mention that you cannot crawl that in their, um, you know, the, settings. Yeah, the so things that you never to, read. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, there, there is a file that's called robots.txt and you have to read that and then you can identify whether to crawl that or not. Uh, but we actually publish a white paper on who owns the data. And there we argued that, uh, you know, at sentence level, you cannot really say that this is my sentence. So if you are crawling data from the web and then randomizing it and, you know, distorting it uh, that much that you cannot reproduce the article or reproduce the page, that means it is then good enough to be used because not, uh, and then you also have to do, for example, anonymization, you can definitely not uh, use the names, the entities and different kind of things, uh, but you can still use the, you know, structure of the sentence, you can use all the vocabulary and then you can train based on that. So it's a sketchy line, but you can uh, work around it with, with different algorithms and with different um, techniques. Uh, and then also there are a lot of websites which allow you to crawl, so you can easily crawl that. And that's also a lot of data. There is a lot of data in public domain, uh, for example, coming out of European Commission, coming out of different governments, you can crawl that very easily. Thanks. Thanks for that little tangent there. I, I know it's not central to the theme here, but I, I'm looking at the clock here, guys, and I've got more questions from you, but we also got some questions from chat. So why don't we head on over there and see what people are are talking about here. Thank you, everybody, for putting your questions, comments, conversation here. Oh, very important. It is called leapfrogging, according to Julia Pedro. Leapfrogging. Um, what we were talking about, skipping in developing countries. Someone else says it's called the law of the handicap of a head start. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah, handicap of the head start. Oh, is that, is that the Dutch translation? Oh, handicap, that, that's it? Handicap of the head start? A handicap of the head start if you're too early in um, uh, in a certain sort of technology revolution you may lag behind later because others skip that that sort of interim interim phase you know and go straight into mobile telephony for instance skip the landlines um, yeah who, who remembers tom from myspace well tom's a rich man these days so that's okay um, all right, let's get into some questions here. Law of the Handicap of the Head Start. I, I liked all these. I had them prepared, but not anymore. Um, hey, Solon. Solon says, for those who'd like to try out DEMT that Yap just mentioned, take a look. And she put a link. Um, so the link is in the chat. Everybody there, thank you for supporting Solon. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Lara Pontyukov. Um, there are two types of MT engine, generic and customized. The customized is the one that learns from the training data. 
TMX files mostly, but how does the generic MT engine learn? Do we understand that question? Yeah, somewhat. So maybe I can I can answer that. So actually, DMT is actually about that. So what we are saying is that now there is a lot of data available in many languages, and you can train generic MT engines based on that. So you can put all that that data which is coming from this web crawling, or coming from the news domain, or coming from the medical domain. You can just take all of that and you know train and retrain uh, your engines, and that will. Uh, create a very generic model that can be used in very generic situations. But what about uh, you know customized domains? Uh, first of all, do we know what is a domain? Uh, because in in the past, when the usage of MT was minimal, then the domains, uh, the classification of domains was also very clearly defined. That okay, this is healthcare, and maybe this is tourism, and this is financial. But now it's not about uh, you know the top level domains. Now it's about that particular document which you are translating. And each document can have its own uh, set of, uh, not rules, but nuances that uh, the you know user wants to translate into that particular style. So DEMT is all about that. So when you are trying to upload a document, we can take that document and we can apply uh, what we call matching data, which is to select data that is relevant to uh, the query that you're providing and then take that data and customize the engine based on that so that you can get very accurate results uh, of translations according to that document. So that was the main idea. In the first launch, we uh, we are just using pre-created uh, data sets that we are using for DEMT. But uh, in the near future, we are also going to give this uh, the whole pipeline where you can upload a document on the fly you will select data that is more relevant to that document, and then you can uh, cust uh, you know, customize the generic models that Amazon is providing or any other uh, empty provider can provide. And then on the fly, it will change the, the settings of the empty model to customize based on that uh, data set that you provided, and then do the translation according to that. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> let's uh i love this umi ozaiden and everyone knows my pronunciation is horrible i'm just gonna stop uh stop apologizing on these live streams umi ozaiden big does not mean consistent or clean i love that and i just think that needed call it called out because i've been talking about you know critical mass of data sets and how much volume do you need in order to be feasible and that's a really good point is just because you got a big data set doesn't mean it's a it's a good data set. Um, yeah. Next we uh, have. Ha oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to say something? Did you have some add to that? No, I was say very true. Very true. Yeah. You know, the, the quality of the data is so crucial. That's that's what we're learning, and that's what we're constantly you know benchmarking ourselves by. You know, by as I said, for every training we do, we evaluate: is there an impact on the quality of the machine translation output? So, and it's all go back to the quality of the data. Yeah, and that's why we say always that uh, you don't need more data, you, you need more high quality data. Yeah. And that's why in our marketplace, we have built in all these tools. So when, when a seller is selling the data, we apply all the cleaning uh, and all the um, anonymization beforehand, only then it can become part of the marketplace. So the cleaning is taken care of. And then if somebody is purchasing that data, 
that is ready to be used in a uh, anti engine. And, and just uh, Tucker, if I may, to zoom a little further in on sort of how, where that fits in the sort of the general sort of uh, supply here in the industry, the state of the art at the moment, uh, probably in terms of machine translation, is this uh, real time adaptive MT. Uh, that's that's the, the sort of the smart uh, right. stuff that uh, Lilt came out with first and then translated and blends and, and, and uh, Lingo or Lango, the German company. But it all that's, depends. That's on funny. Someone in chat was just talking about that. Imal Gamshurik says that whether you use Google or DeepL or whatever, the thing that really makes you faster, I'm presuming she's a translator or he's a translator, sorry, um, is the MT automatically spitting out the right target term. So it's funny that you bring up Lilt and Adaptive MT and stuff like that. No, 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 but what I was going to say is that these, uh, what presumably is the state-of-the-art offering at the moment in the industry is still very dependent on the human in the loop. Mm, so yeah, okay. The MT engine doesn't learn unless there's a human correcting the output all the time. And so it's that interactive model that um, that is sort of uh, crucial to this real-time adaptive MT. And our offering, the DEMT, steps away from that. We say we don't need the human in the loop. We can deliver real-time, same, similar quality levels at much lower cost because we eliminate the human in the loop totally. And, and that is the breakthrough that we're talking about here. That's so, huge. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah because that's... That means that the, the probably hundreds of thousands of companies out there in the world that today use generic machine translation and get frustrated again and again and again because there are some crucial or stupid errors and the output is, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, making their customers laugh uh, about their, their translations. They now have an opportunity to step up to customized MT. Uh, without going through all the hassle of where do I find the data, how do I set yeah. up this, this customization process, uh, and so on. We make it very easy with the EMT. It's plug and play. We have we deliver the data, and, and uh, they can choose a domain, a language pair, and they get the, the machine translation output practically real time. There is a bit of a delay, a couple of hours maybe, depending on which MT engine we're, we, we use as the, the power behind this offering. Uh, but it's basically, um, you know, real time. And um, for most use cases, indeed, good enough quality and better than the generic MT. So what, what you're talking about here is essentially lowering the barrier to entry to start training your own engines, right? Yeah. So I, I think, like, uh, let's sit here for a little while uh, just on this because I think this is huge and I don't want this to go over. To me, this is like my one thing from this conversation that I can take away is like, hey, training your own custom MT engines isn't what it used to be, you know, because I remember back, back in my day, you know, we're going to charge you tens of thousands of dollars. We're going to run a pilot. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to gather all this. We're going to scrub your TMX files. We're going to blah, 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 blah. And now... Taos is lowering the barrier to entry to training um, custom machine translation for anybody. So talk to me about that. Who are some of the customers? Well, I'm not going to ask for your customer list, but, you know, give me some of the, um, you know, the case studies of pe people that are using this or people that are implementing it or considering it. Um, 
First of all, like, what's the? How do you do that? And if I'm out there and I want to talk to you guys, how do I get a hold of you? Who do I talk to? What questions do I ask? Essentially, good. Yeah. Well, pitch, pitch to me, a, pitch to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the service is live on our on our platform, so anyone can just come to uh, the Taos Data Marketplace and and select one of the standard uh, data sets that we have on offer now. So there's a about a selection of 30 uh, combinations of languages and domains. Um, and they can choose one of them, uh, drop a file in the box and get it, get a customized machine translation for that language pair and domain. Um, that is for the average user. But if companies are interested in scaling this up to an enterprise-wide solution, uh, then we're here to, of course, go deeper into the whole process of preparing all the right data for their needs, uh, choosing the engine that they want to use, um, and uh, yeah, build and doing the integration. So we're, we're there to definitely help the enterprise users as well to, to build an, an enterprise-wide solution based on this principle of data enhanced machine translation. Now, who are the customers? Again, um, the thousands of companies tens of thousands of companies out there that use generic MT. There's so many customers on Google, on Microsoft, on Amazon, on all these platforms that use these generic MT engines day, every day, but the output is not good enough. So they can benefit from this um, uh, uh, by using the data enhanced machine translation, getting the data properly prepared um, and uh, that that's that's kind of the market as we define it as we see it. Thank you. And for those of you that are interested in finding out more, now that I know Solon's watching, I can stop stressing about putting links in the chat. I can just say, "Hey, Solon, can you please link to this page on your website, the case studies and success stories?" If you kind of want a more practical use of how how Taos helps companies around the world to solve to optimize their language capabilities through data. Remember, Taos is a data company. I keep repeating that. You'll be proud of me, Yap. I keep repeating that. Taos is a data company. Taos is a data company. And yes, you have a niche in the languages, but really, you're, you're doing data at the middle of it. Hey, sir, if, I, if I may add some perspective here, yeah. you referred to this translation economics article in multilingual. Yeah, yeah. And um, of course, there, there must be people in the audience today or um, later when they listen back to this um, saying, well, you're, you're taking away the jobs in our industry. I was um, just, that was the last comment I was going to read from, oh, really? you, you know, you yeah. can't go on a live stream and avoid it. So ah. Karina, do you want to get rid? I'm going to read it in mean voice, Karina. <laughs> do you want to get rid of translators? Where do you see? And then she, she forgot the right. rest of her comment, but yeah, I, you can imagine where that comment leads. So let's address this. Oh. No, I think you have to put this in economic perspective. And that's really, I mean, it wasn't the title, the translation economics of the 2020s. It's just common sense, you know, if you see this technology moving forward so quickly, you just have to look at the economic uh, considerations. You know, the cost of translation for most companies is too high. The time it takes to deliver translations to the end users uh, Look, today, you know, everything is, is, is in a hurry. You know, people don't want to go to the, to the grocery store anymore. They want this 10-minute supply to their, their front door of grocery stuff, you know. And 
<clears throat> that's the same in translation. We need it real time. So it's just the economic reality that we live in. And that was the, the, the essence of this article. You know, the technology is there. Uh, there's a shortage of supply. Cost is high. Then that's just where the market is moving. Does that mean that the profession of the translator is going away? I don't think so. Um, you know, we, we still, because the total volume of translation is growing, and as we said before, there's a differentiation in use cases. And, and even if today maybe 5 or 10% of the use cases require um, that human in the loop or that sort of transcreation level quality, uh, of the total volume of translation, that is still more than the, let's say, the human translators population today can handle. Look, the jobs keep growing in our industry. What we're saying is, was that post-editing machine translation really a very intellectually rewarding kind of occupation? We compare it to the history of factory automation. You know, first, you had the assembly lines, and people were forced to stand at the assembly line, seeing if you know, doing some stupid uh, manual things on the products that were just you know, going by on the assembly line. Only later, you know, they came with the robots and eliminated the humans completely from the factory. That's the economic reality that's happening what, with translation. But that doesn't mean that the very intellectually re rewarding work of creating art, you know, of translating a 17th century novel from Chinese into Dutch, you know, will be taken over by uh, computers. Not at all. That's the very rewarding new future of translators. Besides the possibility of translators who say, look, I've got all this legacy data, all these perfect translations I've done in the medical field covering viruses and corona in English, Arabic. I can now offer that on the Taos Data Marketplace and I get not just one customer, as I do with traditional services, but I get a hundred customers because my data is very much in demand. So we're creating a, a new market. We're creating a new future here for the translators in the world. So, for, so what I hear from that is, no, Taos, doesn't, Taos isn't trying to take translators' jobs. Taos is trying to make translators' jobs more rewarding more rewarding, and we're just putting our finger on the economic realities here. And that's perhaps what is not clearly understood. Yeah, you can't fight, you can't fight changing technology and the economic well, shifts that that brings, and you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can, you can fight. Yeah, it, but... I mean, of course you can, and then there's a, there's a, that's a whole different debate. We could have a, a podcast about that. I was going to say, this is, we're getting into waters need... here that are a little bit too deep, and we could just go for hours, so... We need to change the economic model, right? We need to get rid of this. Is that is that the new thing? Per word pricing. So right now, quick answer. Per word pricing, here to stay, or will we see that shift in five years? That's not part of our um, uh, uh, reality at the moment. We, well, we do copy what the empty providers do. We're charging per million characters. Um, so... The, no, uh, I mean the, for the larger industry. I mean for the LSPs yeah, no, out I, there I, 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 because, I, I, like like you said, you're not doing that right now. 
So how long until that has an effect on the larger industry as a whole? And we stop thinking about per word and we start thinking about effort and hourly rates and all of that stuff or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. But again, it's not part of our offering, but uh, I would say so. You know, it, an hourly rate is more, uh, makes more sense because of the, all the different kind of use cases, right? Not right. every translation is the same. Um, so an hourly rate would be better. Well, and, and guys, we're running out of time here. Yeah. Are, are there any, because yep. I know you have a hard stop. Yep. Um, we've had about, we have 52. We've been hovering between 50 and 55 people in the live stream. Very engaged. Um, thanks for thanks for hanging out with us here today, guys. Um, any closing thoughts really quickly? Any questions I forgot to ask you guys? Yep, Amir. Uh, no, I would just say that, as Shlen mentioned, that you can go and read about Tempt on our website. You can try the service already. Uh, if you have any question, just um, ask uh, us. You're more than welcome. Uh, I think our emails are there in the uh, in the links, or, or or Shlen, you can post it in the chat. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If you are interested in selling your data, um, you can also go to the data marketplace and check who else has been doing this and um, and then um, you can upload your data and set the price for your data and um, it will be part of the offering of Taos. Awesome. So it's like it's like getting solar panels and selling your electricity back to the grid. Right? Yeah. It's like yeah. stuff that you're already doing but might as well make some passive income on that. So Head on over to Taos and check that out, guys. Thank you very much, Yap and Amir. I'm going to close this out here. Just stick around for for one sec. So, thank you, Tucker. Thank you, guys. Ladies, gentlemen, this has been fun. Like I said, we've been hovering between 50, 55 folks on this call today. If you've enjoyed this Nimsy Live experience, then like I said, make sure to share it with somebody that you you think could get some value out of it. The one thing that I did want to plug on this podcast that I forgot to do this morning because I had kids running into my into my office here was multilingual does have a new podcast. So wherever you get your podcast, if you're on iTunes, multilingual news, multilingual daily news. If you're on Spotify, search for multilingual daily news. If you're on Casto, I don't know. I'm not a podcast guy. I don't know what the different platforms is. The point is go search for multilingual daily news. And what it is, it is a audio version of all of the news that multilingual magazine, multilingual news publishes every single day to multilingual.com. And if you're not subscribed to either our newsletter or the, the website or whatever, um, if you're a commuter, you like to listen to audio, go subscribe to the podcast. It's really awesome. It's read by our own multilingual folks over there. And with that, guys, my name is Tucker Johnson. It was, it is, and it will continue to be. I am the host of Nimsy Live, and it has been my pleasure to join you today. I appreciate our guests, Yap and Amir. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all of the hard work here so that I can go have fun and goof around on live streams like this. I appreciate everybody in our industry who fills out Nimsy surveys and schedules. We've got the Nimsy 100 survey coming out, guys. Marketing managers, CEOs, owners. Be on the lookout for that. Um, talk to Sarah Hickey. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, everybody in chat who are joining us live today. I appreciate the dialogue and everybody who left comments and questions and especially criticisms. And I very much look forward to next time. Cheers. Bye-bye.